This is the Post Larval Podcast, Episode 1, hosted by me, Thomas Daniel Lammon. I have a bad feeling about this. I don't sense anything. It's not about the mission, Master. It's something elsewhere, elusive. Don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. And that is a little dialogue from one of my favorite movies of all time. Star Wars, Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. And yes, I know that I'm in a very small camp who thinks this movie is, uh, generally speaking, one of my favorite films. But uh, I know I'm still in a minority if you're simply talking about the Star Wars saga. This is probably stemming from a nostalgia for sure. Um, I'm sure if I was born in, you know, the 60s and was a teenager when the originals had come out, I would probably be in the on the ex- exact opposite of the spectrum here. But because I was born in the late 80s and... Um, this movie came out in 99, so I was probably, I would would have been 9 or 10 years old. This movie just blew me away. I, I can still remember being in the theater, on the edge of my seats, particularly um, or specifically the lightsaber duel. Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, it is... That, that image is just just imprinted into my mind. So, you know, it's one of those memories uh, that I cherish and, uh, you know, still remember to this day. Of course, I've been watching this film over and over since I saw it. So I've been reviewing it, you know, for a good 20 years now. <laughs> Uh, which uh, might as well wish George Lucas uh, an excellent uh, 20-year anniversary for the release of this film as of last May, uh, or the past May, last month. So, George, you're fucking awesome, man, and I love you, and thank you for everything that you have done. You're a true artist, and uh, it's just... uh, Unbelievable. Maybe I'll hope hope to meet you someday. So today we're just going to talk about this this film, but I think it's going to be in a way that will be a little unique. I'm not going to review this movie like as a as a film. Generally, you know, um, most of the time when you listen to a movie review, you know they'll hit they'll hit all the spots of character story um 
And then obviously these days, the more action that's in the movie and all the, all the special effects, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, that's probably a lot of what they're going to talk about. Um, particularly in star Wars being that, you know, this was a movie franchise that has led the way in special effects, um, and has changed the entire, uh, movie industry and how movies are made for better or for worse. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll leave that untouched for today, but, um, you know, episode one for me, I, I may, I put it at the top of my list and, you know, possibly at the the very top of my all-time list um, of all movies. Um, I put it up there because of the philosophy that's in the film. Um, Of course, I enjoy the action in it, which we'll talk about a little bit. But it's mostly because it reveals a side of the Jedi that you didn't really get to see too much of in the originals. Um, and that is to really experience the day to day of a Jedi. Um, you know, the, uh, the originals picked up at a point when there were like basically two Jedi left in the entire galaxy. And then of course you have the Sith, but, um, you know, you only had Yoda and Obi-Wan, in those films until Luke technically became a Jedi. So these prequels, um, you know, they really, they really revealed what it was like before, obviously the Jedi were destroyed. And, um, I love that. I, it, it, I think these prequels go more for what the books are like rather than what, like trying to follow, you know, obviously, George Lucas was not trying to just do what he did in the originals. I mean, the originals are what they are purely because of all the restrictions that he had when he was making these movies. You can definitely see that in the first one because, you know, whatever his budget was, it was simple. The technology back then was, you know, there wasn't really any technology to be able to do the things he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, they got better through episode five and six because he had a bigger budget and, you know, he developed ILM more and and all the technologies. So they, they definitely get visually and the, and the special effects and sound effects and all that just get better and better. But, you know, the biggest angst that people have with these prequels is that he went totally digital on it, basically. And I agree. He obviously did. There's there's no uh, argument there. It's just whether that was a good uh, direction to go. Um, I'll say this. They're basically, technologically speaking, stepping stones to get us to where the movie industry is today. Um, in 1996, when he started you know, pre-production for this film. Um, Heck, when they started producing this film, you know, 
the technologies for the uh, CGI, the characters, um, the um, the all the all the the graphic uh, special effects. There was very little technology to do what Lucas wanted to do. They had to create these technologies and these methods on the go when they were producing this this movie. So um, hats off to all of all of the crew and uh, ILM and and uh, and everybody that had had a piece to do with this because um, I I think it looks amazing. I I do. I mean, again, for what it for where they were with the technology and because uh, um, you don't you never hear people bashing the originals about how crappy they look, particularly A New Hope. Obviously, that one. God damn, the special effects are horrible. I mean, I get it. Oh, well, they use real models to fly over and stuff like that. It's still, mm, I mean, it's pretty good, but it it doesn't really satisfy me. I mean, it used to, but maybe I've just watched the movie so much. it It's just unappealing at this point. Um, but anyways, we're going to get it in all this. Um you know, I normally categorize movies, you know, based pretty simple dramas, science fictions, comedies, and musicals. <laughs> that's basically it. You know, um, that's they pretty much any movie is going to kind of fit into in, into those categories. Um, science fiction really just implies that it's you know it's not taking place either in the past or in the, in the, in, uh, um, in the present, it's typically meant to be in the future or in some alternate fantasy, you know, uh, fictional reality. Um, so obviously a science fiction can be any one of those categories, drama, comedy, dramedy, whatever. So I group Star Wars with some other films and I refer to this little group as the Four Horsemen, and uh, they are some of my favorite movies of all time. Um, you'd probably see all of these movies, or most of them, uh, in my top 50 list. Um, or, yeah, probably top 50. Um, and that, of course, is, you know, the Star Wars franchise. Um, we'll talk about Disney in a second. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogies uh we won't talk about the hobbits because those are a pretty big waste of time um god if you hate the prequels of star wars i mean i don't know what you felt like when you saw the hobbits i mean jesus Whew. glad i was bald at the time so i didn't have any hair to pull out um the third one would be the matrix trilogies um those movies God, they just the right the story, the the writing, the characters, the action, obviously, um, and it, just unbelievable. That one's a big philosophy movie too, and that's a, that's a reason why I love that that series, um, all three of them. And then the fourth one I'll throw in um, is Harry Potter, of course. Now those are of the four of these, those are clearly aimed the most at children. Um, but you know, they were coming out 
when I was a teenager. Um, so, and I read the books when I was in elementary school as they started coming out. So I love them and, um, it's certainly nostalgia, but, um, that story is, I mean, just the characters in it and the, and the, uh, the complexities of that story and how JK Rowling wrote that. And man, she's incredible. And thank you, JK. I love you too. And I'd love to meet you someday as well. You're beautiful. (laughs) So Star Wars, Lord of the Rings and the Matrix though, are really kind of the Trinity in my mind. Um, the Matrix, again, big philosophy in that movie. Just unbelievable. Um, a movie that makes you think on so many levels. Um, and it's tough. I mean, not a lot of movies make you think like that. Um, it's it. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Uh, if, if you've never seen the Matrix trilogies, watch them in order and do it, you know, get to it when you can. But I would, I, I wouldn't, I would just, just make sure you watch them at some point because they're, they, they'll probably, they changed my life for sure. I mean, I freaking love them and they, uh, the, the philosophy in it has um, integrated into my life um, without a doubt. The Lord of the Rings, yes, there's some philosophy in there, um, but it's more so, you know, just, the grandest story of all stories, you know, um, it's more, I'd say rather than being like individual philosophic, uh, wisdom that's in it, it's more like it's, um, social, maybe, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with world war one, world war two, um, you know, that, that, the, the humanity, it's more of a, more of a, maybe a, a a critique of humanity and, and, uh, and social values. And, and, and clearly, I mean, the number one theme in it is power, you know? Um, and that's, that's a big deal for sure. But as you'll see here, it's just not as direct as far as the, um, the, the individual philosophy, um, AKA how should one conduct themselves in life? Um, Star Wars, man, that's all these movies are about for me. Um, sure. There's some great spaceships and some awesome aliens and a bunch of fun action, but, um, that's not really what gets me to watch these movies over and over and over again. And uh, so we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Now, if I had to rank the Star Wars films, and yes, I will include the Disney films in here because they are relevant. Um, Disney hasn't screwed everything up, um, but I feel optimistic. I'm not going to be pessimistic about it. I mean, I, I want to give them a chance. I mean, they own it. So they're going to do what they're going to do with it. But hopefully they've learned from the negative feedback from the episodes 
um, seven and eight so far. Clearly, they had to finish the trilogy out with nine, which if you've seen the trailer of the what this rise of whatever it is oh god damn it <laughs> i'm 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 just done with it um frankly i honestly i i'm surprised that i'm even saying this but i don't know if i'm gonna go see this film i'm definitely not gonna see it in theaters definitely not um i'll wait until it's on freaking netflix to watch it for free um but I, I don't see how they're going to turn it around from the uh, uh, from the the episode eight um, that movie it ruins it could it very well for the time being has ruined Star Wars like hundred percent just ruined it it took the entire episodes one through six and completely killed it just everything that george lucas wrote the whole storyline the the whole uh you know um canon of uh the, the 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 larger universe of star wars was just thrown aside and disney did this feminist bullshit that it was it was the worst fucking thing i've ever seen it, it might be the worst like god I mean, it might be one of the worst like movies I've ever seen. It's certainly, as you'll see here, on the bottom of my list. Let's start at the bottom, actually. Episode 8. <laughs> worst movie ever. Very deservingly of this last place. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other topic as well. In fact, we're not even going to do it because it's not even worth the time. I'm, I probably will never waste uh, a podcast on that. Um, so definitely, uh, next to that will be episode seven, the force awakens. Uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I saw it. I remember seeing the trailer when it came out and I kind of had a bad feeling. I was like, nah, uh, okay. I don't know. And then I saw it. And, um, of course I was, mm, no, that, that pretty much sucked. Um, I look Disney's the best in the business when it comes to special effects. So it's not a surprise that the movie looks incredible. All the, all the movies that they've done so far look incredible. That's where technology is these days and they can make any movie look good. So that, that, that was, that was a given when you're going to see these films. I, that's not something that you can really argue with why they're pretty good films. The story is, is absolute crap. Absolute just shit. There's nothing good about it. Um, whoever wrote it, I don't even care. You know, they were either told by Catherine Kennedy because she obviously is the head of it all. Um, I think she had her little fingers, you know, on the keyboard too much, basically. And I mean that figuratively, obviously. Um, you know, the decision to make it a girl and, uh, which I, Hey, I, I like Ray. She could have been an awesome character, but the way they wrote the story around her, it's just, it's absolutely stupid. Like, where did she, they're not, see that we could just, this would go on into a whole nother universe of, we go on for hours about this. And so we'll leave it for another day. 
maybe. <laughs> now, those are the two worst, in my opinion. Um, now, the next two uh, are episode two and three, okay, of the prequels. Um, that should show you that I'm not here to argue the prequels, okay? I'm only going to talk about episode one today, okay? That's it. I, I think it's a standalone film on its own. Uh, the episode two and three, I agree with most people that, you know, he, uh, did they overdo it with just CGI all the time instead of using the real, um, you know, real sets and, and real, uh, characters and things like that. Um, sure. Maybe. However, all, you know, like Yoda, for instance, I like the, the CGI Yoda. I, you know, I think he looks great. Um, the whole Muppet Yoda, uh, I, you know, not really my favorite. He, cause you can just tell he's not real. You can tell he's a, a you know, a puppet, you know, a sock puppet. You can just tell. And I, I prefer that the, the CGI version because his lips and his speaking and his, um, you know, they were able to much more fine tune his emotional expressions and, uh, and obviously all the badass action you get to see Yoda do lightsaber battling and all that stuff. I mean, that couldn't have been done with a puppet, obviously. So, um, I'm down with that and that that's, you know, there's episode two and three, you know, there's plenty to hate on them. Um, and again, that's a whole nother subject, so we won't get into that either. Um, but for the most, you know, I'll watch them when I'm, when I'm watching the full, when I say, Hey, this weekend, let's do, you know, every once a year, what do we do? We watch Star Wars. We watch the whole saga straight through and I watch them episode prequels first episode one, two, three, and then, uh, I'll add in rogue one because that, you know, we'll get to that one. Add in Rogue One, then four, five, and six, and it's you know, and then stop because I'm not going to watch the Disney ones because they suck. So, anyways, after episode two and three, um, then here's I don't completely hate Disney, okay? Rogue One and Solo, you know, this kind of interchangeable here, but you know, one, two, three, four, five, and six, man. I like those movies. Um, it was unfortunate for Solo because it had to come out after the uh, the Last Jedi, and because the Last Jedi just bombed, and everybody was like, "What in the fuck did you just do to Star Wars?" Then you know everybody was like, "Okay, well I'm not going to go see that because that's going to be a piece of crap," but it actually turned out to be awesome. Um, I know they had some difficulties in production. The director or directors that were originally doing it, um, they kind of fell through in the middle of production. And so they had a, a veteran guy, um, Ron Howard, come in. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was, once again, looked gorgeous. They It was the perfect balance, which in these new movies, Disney is clearly doing one thing right, the special effects and the balance between CGI and... Uh, you know, uh, realistic props and things. They're, they're balancing that well. And that's good, good, good for them. Um, and then solo too. the biggest thing I was surprised about was talk about filling some big old boots. 
you know, to play Han Solo, that kid did an amazing job. Uh, he nailed it. He was perfect for the role, and boy, that had to be a nerve-wracking experience. That took some balls to really uh, portray that, um, as well as Lando Calrissian. Uh, both those guys did a phenomenal job, and um, that movie hopefully um, will go down as you know an awesome film. I think most people have seen it now, but. Uh, maybe for a lot of people, the whole Star Wars now is just becoming a little too sour to taste. Um, and so, you know, it's spilling over from The Last Jedi onto other, you know, the other movies, um, particularly Solo. But, um, you know, Solo and Rogue One, I, you know, I went to see that in theaters and I loved it. It was it was awesome. Um, it did. It felt like the older films, but, you know, obviously updated it with, you know, all the technology, uh, the modern technologies. I mean, man, if only they could remake the originals like that, that would be freaking awesome. That would turn the originals into just bomb ass movies. They would be amazing. I, I, I definitely go see them, but, um, you know, they uh, unfortunately are kind of being tagged along with the rest of the Disney crap. And, um, you know, so some people are kind of negative about all of it, but uh, I, I wouldn't be. And, and, and as far as, as far as the future goes for Disney and all that, you know, play, they'll, they'll fix it. They'll come around. Um, I, there's just so much of the star Wars universe and whatnot that there's, um, it's going to be going for a long, long time. And, uh, so I'm excited about it. Um, and certainly, you know, Hey, maybe one day I'll get to play a Jedi in, in a movie. We'll see. <laughs> so anyways, moving on with what's left top four here in fourth place will be episode four, a new hope. Um, you know, it's a good movie. It obviously special effects of all the uh, of all of them. It's the worst because it was the first one and and uh, and whatnot. But uh, but hey, it's it it's man, it, it's the the story that really counts. And uh, so yeah, it's amazing. Now top three here, and if you're kind of counting along, if you know which ones are left. This is where uh, you'll either love or hate me, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I accept whatever you have to give. But in third place, I'm going to put episode six, The Return of the Jedi. It's a tough choice for me here between, um, you know, episode five, but um, episode six, I, you know, it's, I love it. Obviously, it, it's brings that the true saga you know to a close and and the end of Darth Vader uh, the end of the Emperor or so I thought apparently Disney but we'll see um, but you know at that point the special effects were pretty pretty good and um, it was just an awesome film um, so in second place kind of already hinted at this but 
uh, that that would be the Empire Strikes Back for me. Okay, which I know is majority of Star Wars fans. It's it's their number one for sure. Um, probably for one scene in particular, um, and that's when Darth Vader reveals to Luke that he is his father, which is one of the all-time best like twists in movie history. It's just an epic moment um, in two ways, though, and this is what's kind of interesting, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, and obviously, so on the top of my list, I put episode one. Don't hate me, okay? <laughs> it's it's just for fun, and uh, I I always get a laugh whenever I'm talking to you know some movie uh, nerds, and uh, we kind of talk about what our favorite movies are, and I'm like, oh yeah, my favorite one's Episode One. And there's like double double take, what? Like what? Yeah, yeah, Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, yeah. Number one favorite movie ever. <laughs> and, you know, hey, I think, again, it's kind it, it it's certainly my favorite Star Wars. It's, if we're talking all time movies, obviously, I'm going to, that's going to be in a hard competition for slot number one with some Scorsese films, uh, Goodfellas. Um, gosh, you know, some Quentin Tarantino, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, maybe, you know, they, they're, it, I don't know if I could name a number one film. That's why I don't have a problem with just saying episode one, the first episode, it's going to be my favorite movie because, you know, yeah, I'll, I'm cool with going with that. So now kind of back to why episode five, Empire Strikes Back, why majority of people think that is like the best Star Wars ever. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's a great movie. I, I literally just watched it. Um on Blu-ray, okay. Um, now, keep in mind, though, that the way these movies were released, I think, has quite a bit to do with why people love some over others. Um, obviously, he released them the way he did because he, listen, he already had the whole story written. He had the Skywalker story, a.k.a. Anakin, okay, he had that, that was already written before he started producing these films. The reason why he had to produce four through six first is because he didn't have the technology required to produce episode one through three. The, the grand battles and, and, and whatnot, he, he knew he couldn't do it. So he had to start with four through six. And whether he liked it or not, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest, but this has a huge play on that very scene of, you know, Luke, I am your father, okay? Obviously, if he had released them in numerical order, then by the time you got to that scene, you would have already known that. You, you already would have known that. Um so would the audience have gotten so much of a rise off that scene? I'd say they would have gotten about 20% of the rise that, that people got when they did originally see that scene for the first time. Um, because that, you know, not knowing that, obviously, that was a huge twist. Like, who, who the hell guessed that? I highly doubt anybody 
unless they were just like totally uh, cynics or something. We're like, oh no, I bet, I bet he's just his father. And everybody else was like, no, dude, there's no way that's dumb. He killed his father. Duh. Okay. So that because of the way that they released the films, that is what allowed for that scene to be so epic. Okay. So keep that in mind when you're saying episode five is your favorite, you know, because again, for me, mm, that still is a huge twist to Luke. But it wasn't, you know, but the audience would have known if they had done it the other way around. So, you know, that that that's an interesting um, aspect of the Star Wars saga and how um, that's that's why I really do enjoy the story of the prequels, because you know, from the beginning, obviously, Anakin's going to become Darth Vader, but you don't know. Unless, of course, you're a huge Star Wars um, nerd, and I mean that in a nice way. Uh, that you know, if you've read all the books and know all you know, know all the backstories, you know, if you, if you're only going off just watching the movies, when you go to see Episode One, you really don't have any idea what's going to happen at all because it's not going to lead anywhere close to where he turns or how he turns and and all the things he does before then so the prequels had plenty to look forward to and and uh you know they're they're certainly fun films to watch that's for sure now again i've kind of already covered this but you know as far as music john williams one of the best composers like ever i mean certainly in movies but uh in in cinema history it's got to be one of the best one of the most profound and most influential, but, um, but I mean, he's just his, his themes and his melodies, man, they just hit you so, so deep. Um, they're, they're relatable to, you know, I, I'll listen to that kind of music and, um, I'll listen to the Star Wars soundtrack sometimes. And I'm not thinking about Star Wars when I'm listening to it, you know, um, especially the more, um, um, softer and and uh, not necessarily the uh big uh action opera music you know but the uh more soft and love uh the, the music for the love and uh love stories and, and things like that um man that stuff almost makes me cry you know it just really you can really relate on a deep level with it and of course the special effects um you know, music and special effects here. This element for most movies is like, I don't know, I'll give it, it's like 50% of the importance of like making the movie what it is um, at at most for most movies. Um, like the soundtrack, the music that's playing throughout the movie. Um, but with Star Wars... The music, especially, and obviously, you know, sound effects and all that, uh, and the sound design, that is, God, it's more like, you know, 80% of what makes it amazing and what makes it so, makes you, gives you the ability to immerse into these films um, on a big screen or small screen. It doesn't really matter. Um, just smoke some weed and you'll be, you'll get immersed as hell into these films in pretty much any movie for that. But, um, you know, that, 
it, it it they real the music and the special effects in Star Wars films are beyond important. Um, if you don't believe me, go watch a Star Wars movie with the mute button on, okay, with no sound, and just watch the pictures. You see how? Go ahead and see how immersed you get into it. All right, um, you know. Heck, I'll even give you the dialogue, you know, give the dialogue at least if you could do that. You probably can't, but, but just, just for, just for the thought experiment here, that's how important the sound and the music is to Star Wars. Um, whereas again, most other movies, unless it's a big old action movie, um, you know, sound effects aren't really that important and, uh, and music isn't always super important in movies. Um, so now the last little thing I want to talk about before we move on to the actual story and, and philosophy of, of, uh, episode one is, um, talk just, just a little caveat here about George Lucas's dialogue. Okay. Because I hear people hate on that all the time, particularly in the prequels, um, I can kind of agree with people a little bit on episode two and three. Yes, there's a lot of scenes where the dialogue, I don't know if it's bad acting or if it's bad dialogue. It's hard to tell. Um, I don't know. But what I will say about his writing style and the way he writes his characters and their and the way they speak is this is takes place in an alternate universe. It's basically supposed to be humanity, humans in the future, really. I mean, that's that's what it is. Um, so I would see in future, you know, let's say 200 years from now, keeping that, keep in mind that like somehow we don't lose our humanity and just become cyborgs or something, um, that people would talk in a, in a way that is just slightly more robotic, if you will. Um, but what it is really is just, you're being more elegant in the sense of being more direct and more, uh, you know, to the point in things. Why say something, you know, with, with a, with a paragraph when you could have, you know, got the point across in a sentence, it's kind of, it's poetry in a sense, but not, not in a, um, not in a elaborate way of being, you know, poetry, not in an imagery or anything like that. It's, it's about being, uh, elegant and efficient at the same time. Um, which kind of just means you're being intelligent, right? <laughs> so why say something with a bunch of words when you could say it with less? So I think he, I, I, I love his dialogue. Um, as you'll see, we're going to talk about a lot of his dialogue here. And, um, I think it's, I think it's just brilliant. So now let's move on and get to the meat and potatoes here. Um, episode one, biggest thing I've heard people knock on it other than just being, you know, I don't know. People have like a panic attack and they're like, he did this and he did that. And why did he do this? And Jar Jar Binks, God damn it. You know, but you know, people hate on the story. They say, well, there's no main character. It's just like, it's all over the place. And there's not like, what's going on? It's like this film 
you you not every movie now obviously if a movie is a standalone film it has to have a main character i mean maybe it doesn't though that again this is a whole nother topic but but what i'll say about this movie in particular is that the point of this film what it had to do just episode one not episode two and three okay from here on out we're just talking about episode one episode one is just here to establish the origins of the main character of the entire saga. And who is that? Anakin Skywalker. Okay? That's it. That is the whole purpose of this film. Is to uh, It's the discovery of Anakin and obviously the, you know, progression of how he ultimately gets to become a Darth Vader and then at the very last minute, you know, come back to being Anakin before he dies. So this film did a brilliant job at that. Um, It laid the foundation needed for um, the rest of these films. And man, there's just something special about the origin of a story. I just love, I, I don't know, I love origin stories, the genesis, you know, it's just... It's so cool, especially in this case. I can imagine what's cooler than already knowing the end point. You know exactly where he's going to be, and for that matter, a, a, a bunch of the characters, obviously. But you don't know where he came from. And now this is going to go in and show you where this one of the most powerful Jedi of all of all time came from. You know, and so it did, it did its job and it did it beautifully. And, um, so we'll go through some reasons why, um, let's kind of just talk about some characters here. Qui-Gon Jinn, this guy is my favorite Jedi of all time. Um, it's, it's his philosophy. It's his self-reliance. It's, um, it's the way he carries himself and, and, the way he uh, sticks to his gut, you know, um, played by Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson is Qui-Gon. I mean, he was born to play this character. It, it, it's just, he's so badass, so badass. Um, now, of course, another exciting character that you get to see in this film, Qui-Gon being one that you've probably never heard of prior to this film. But... I love this film because you get to meet young Obi-Wan Kenobi, who uh, was played by Ewan McGregor. Did a phenomenal job. Once again, great casting. Who who else could have played him? He was perfect for the role. And he just did. He carried, obviously, very much so, carried the the prequels. Um, But in this one, he is, you know, the Padawan, the apprentice of Qui-Gon Jinn. And uh, that's so cool to see where this epic character that is so vital you know in the in the upcoming films that see where he came from a little bit see what you know who he was trained by um and it just gives you way more uh depth and understanding of who he is as a as a as a person so and i just recently listened to the audiobook of a recently released um star wars book uh called master and apprentice and it is the basically the 
prequel story of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan leading up to uh, uh, episode one. So really cool. If you haven't listened to it or read it, you know, whichever, um, highly recommend it. That's the first Star Wars book I've ever read. So, uh, or maybe I read a few back in the day, but I don't, I don't really recall them. So, but, uh, but this, I enjoyed it thoroughly and, um, it really revealed a lot about who Qui-Gon was and where he came from. And obviously, um, more about the relationship he has with Obi-Wan. Now, so many good characters in this movie and so many vital characters, obviously, um, some of the most important characters, um, are introduced in this film. Darth Sidious, Oh, played by Ian McDiarmid. This guy, I mean, obviously he's the ultimate pro, pro uh, antagonist for the entire saga. Um, he's the ultimate villain here. Um, man, just don't want to mess with him unless you're really a good Jedi, I suppose. Um, and you know, in this film, they did a good job as far as, uh, I think when I was nine, you know, I was nine years old. So of course I wasn't, I didn't guess that, um, Senator Palpatine also played by Ian McDiarmid, it was Darth Sidious. You know, I didn't see that coming for sure. Cause I was nine years old. But, you know, if you were 35 or, you know, 45 and you went and saw this movie and you were like, oh, well, that's so obvious. Well, obviously. So you figured it out. Good for you. So Queen Amadala, played by, played by Natalie Portman. This will be uh, one of my future Halloween costumes for sure. Going to rock it at a party as Queen Amadala, like the full get up. <laughs> I love, you know, people hate on her for her acting or the dialogue again, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of both, but I, I loved it. I thought she was perfect. Um, try and, you know, be a stoic as a leader. Um, especially when you're in like business meetings, political, um, meetings. Um, I don't think there's any room for emotion in, in those, uh, um, in those forums. And, um, so she played the character well, I think, again, in a futuristic fantasy, you know, alternate universe. They're, they're supposed to be human-esque, sort of human, but a little bit off, you know, to make it that they're in a different time, different culture. Everything's a little bit different. Um, so she, Natty Portman, did a great, great job. She's a cutie. Um, obviously, this movie, like, kicked off her, you know, future career um, and... Uh, um, heck, she did a great job through all three prequels, I think. But um, but again, that's keeping in mind that some of the dialogue, yes, was kind of shysty, kind of, eh, you know, could have been better. But so she did a good job. Queen Amidala. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome character. Now, I'm, go I'm going through this little list here of these characters uh, based on the um, order in which, you know, you meet them in the movie. Um, so it's not in, not of my favorites, even though Qui-Gon's number one here, but, um, there's actually another character that eh, maybe I'll give him the number one slot, but, um, Qui-Gon's my favorite hero. Okay. We'll put it that way. And then another one later on will be my favorite villain. All right. Now the next character though, is by far one of the most hated movie characters of all time. You know him, Jar Jar Binks played by Ahmad Best. 
um, at least voiced by him for the most part. I know they ended up, um, you know, just doing a full CGI character, which, uh, keep in mind, Jar Jar was the first ever full CGI character in a movie. Again, they had to create the technologies to be able to do this. It was like an on the go, figure out how we're going to do this to produce what George wanted. And, you know, the end result I think is pretty damn good. Um, does it hold up to stuff today? No, but that's because it was the first that was ever done. It was, it was a, it was a pioneer. Uh, it was the trailblazer here for all the, all the CGI magic that we have, um, today in movies. So, you know, that's, I mean, incredible. Um, so hell yeah, Jar Jar. And I think Ahmed Best did a fantastic job, dude. Um, don't listen to people that are complaining because it's just unbelievable. I know that this guy has received a lot of hatred um, for no reason at all. Um, you're just taking it too far if uh, if you turn it into hatred, which we'll talk about. Um, if you will, you turn to the dark side a little bit there, people. If uh, So, Ahmad, wish you the best, man. Um, and... Uh, you did a great job. Jar Jar is a lovable character, in my opinion. Um, I don't know why people hate on him so much. I honestly don't. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of characters and stories that, particularly the dumb ones, the ones that always screw things up. Sometimes I really like specific example, Charlie Kelly from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I can remember times where, and that's a pure, you know, a comedy you're not supposed to like take it seriously at all, but the things he would do, I would just be like boiling because I'm like, God damn it, dude, you're so fucking stupid. You need to get your shit together. And of course he never does. He just keeps, you know, perpetuating where in Jar Jar's case, he actually going into the prequels, he, well, heck in just this movie alone, you know, he, he turns his life around. He starts taking responsibility for himself and stepping up. You know, he matures. There, Jar Jar has more character growth than uh, a lot of characters uh, in various other films, uh, uh, particularly the newest uh, Disney ones. <clears throat> so, you know, he doesn't deserve the hate that he that he got from so many people. Um, I just don't get it. I mean, um, I think Jar Jar was specifically designed for the kids. It's simple as that. Um, yes, he is a clumsy character in the beginning. I, I, I loved it. I thought he was enjoyable. He was hilarious when I when I saw it. I enjoy. I never, not. I never like didn't. Obviously, I never hated him. I don't think you could find a child that, or people. Well, for sure, I don't think you could find a child that hates Jar Jar Binks. I just don't think you're gonna find one. Um, you know, if you do, then it's probably bad parenting. Okay. Jar Jar is, is a lovable character. It's just people had way too many, um, they just had way too many expectations, um, and were way too close mind minded for what George was going to do with these prequels. So now Man, there's so many good characters in this film. Okay, this next one, he saves the day all the time. I mean, heck, uh, 
He saves the day at the very end of Empire Strikes Back. I mean, um, we're talking about R2-D2. The guy, man, what a, what an important character. Clutch. This R2-D2 saves everybody's ass at least once throughout the entire saga. I mean, whenever somebody gets in a pinch and they have no way out, of course R2-D2 is there to rescue them and help them out, which basically is always... Uh, you know, putting his master key into a, uh, in a into a port and, you know, opening a door, basically. He's good at opening doors and fixing hyperdrives, okay? That's basically it. Uh, but, you know, it, what an important character and, and, and uh, shows, um, I mean, to, to somehow, for people to connect with a droid, with a robot to, to and give him such a heart, you know, that's that's really cool. And uh, that's good writing, George. So, um, and obviously in this movie, you know, you meet him for the first time when they're trying to escape uh, Naboo, and um, the uh, somehow the well, they have their shields on, but somehow you know the uh, the uh, the shield generator gets hit, and uh, so they did they they deploy a bunch of these droids, and uh, they're just getting knocked out, boom, boom, you know, one after another. And R2-D2 is up there, last droid standing, and, and he, you know, um, bypasses the main hyperdrive or something like that. I can't remember what they said, but uh, um, but he fixes it for him and clutch the clutch and, uh, you know, gets him through the, uh, through the blockade, uh, which was just, you know, awesome. Now, here we go. My favorite villain. Of all time, of any movie, including this guy's better than Darth Vader, hands down, better villain than Darth Vader, Darth Maul, okay, played by Ray Park, this guy, I love Ray, man, you're freaking awesome, um, voiced by, didn't know this until recently, voiced by Peter Serafinowitz, which, um, if you saw a picture of him, then you'd, you'd probably know, you've seen him in other things, um, got this deep kind of, uh, South African accent, maybe? I'm not sure where he's from. But either way, perfect pairing of a voice to the look of Darth Maul. And together, these guys just, oh my God, Darth Maul is a badass. They're like, like here's here's case in point why Darth Maul is a better villain than, you know, uh, uh, Darth Vader. Darth Vader, in the end, turns back, okay? A true villain will never do like come back to the dark side. All right. That shows that they had some good, some light in them. You know, they still had a heart. Darth Maul. I don't think he has a heart. Okay. This guy is a cold blooded killer, assassin, badass Sith Lord. And, you know, well, technically an apprentice, I guess. Uh, but I mean, the, the, unbelievable i mean kind of too bad he got killed in this one because he would have he would have been menacing throughout all of it but um that would be a cool i'm sure disney that's it somewhere on their list probably towards the top of uh prequel kind of character side stories that they could do Uh, because darth maul i know is generally beloved by all star wars fans i mean if there is anything good people talk about in this episode one, it's Darth Maul. Um, he, he just, man, the, the look, those tat, like that tattooed face, 
and and the eyes, man, and there's just that stare. He's always pissed off. He never smiles, not even a smirk, like not even a little bit. It's always just pure drive and um, basically like everything he looks at, he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And that's it. And he doesn't care. He's he's cold-blooded. And that's exactly what you want your villain to be. Um, man, just badass, dude. So moving on. The most important character of this movie, as well as the entire saga, we've already said, is young Anakin Skywalker, uh, or Anakin Skywalker. But in this film, it is young Anakin Skywalker, played by Jake Lloyd. Once again, shame on all you Star Wars fans for all the hatred that you put on Jake as a person. That's ridiculous to make a person feel bad about playing a character in a movie. Okay. Unacceptable. Um, I think Jake, you did a great job. I think, honestly, I think you were perfect for the role. Um, I remember watching some of the behind the scenes, the making of episode one. And, uh, I know that they cast, they were casting a, a you know, a handful of young boys for this role. And, watching all of them kind of audition yes there were others that seemed to be more like they were they memorized their line and they could say their lines over and over right but they just didn't have the true innocence and the quality of um what a child is you know uh they're they're the um Jake really had, yes, I understand that he wasn't, you know, technically uh, the best actor uh, on set. Well, he was probably nine or 10 years old or something. You know, it's to be expected with children actors, I think, probably. It's probably a, a very difficult thing to work with them um, and to get their get your performance out of them. Um, I can only imagine, um, you have to understand children, you have to know how to work with them. And, um, but based on what they ended up putting in the film, Jake, you nailed it, dude. You, it was perfect. You were perfect for this role. Um, you just have that, uh, authenticity. It really came off as authentic to me, you know? Um, are you an angel? I mean, that it was so perfect, so perfect. And, and, it's all those kind of like scenes where he's this good boy and there just isn't a, you know, there isn't an ounce of greed or hate or darkness in this boy. Um, he's just the purest of what a child can be. Um, only obviously knowing that his, you know, future is going to take him to the exact opposite of, of what he was brought up by his mother mother Shmi Skywalker who was played by Pernilla August she's beautiful I think she was just perfect for that role as well um, she had that perfect motherly quality um, particularly I mean we're talking about Anakin Skywalker here who I mean what you know that again you know, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit, but, uh, yeah, she, she was just perfect for the role and, and did a phenomenal job, um, 
with the chemistry between uh, Jake and, and her. And I thought it was just great, great pairing. And uh, so excellent job, both of you. Jake, keep your head up, man. I know you've got a, you've been going through a lot of shit, but um, we, we go through the darkness in order to find the light. Okay, so you'll be all right and uh, you'll be better for it. Next character is now this, this I've got to talk about again. This is what makes episode one so special of a film is because in this film, we get to witness the union of two of the most important characters in this entire saga. Okay. That's we've already mentioned R2D2. So it could be none other than C3PO. Um, which oddly enough turned out, you know, was built by Anakin. Um, I assume it's, you know, it's the same thing as like when I was a teenager, I was building desktop computers, you know, and you buy all the parts and you put it together and whatnot. Um, he, and you know, through, uh, the industry standardization and whatnot, it doesn't matter what man, you know, different manufacturers, parts fit, blah, blah, blah. So at this point in the future, you know, robots like that, that's how it probably works is, you know, oh, well, I've got a, um, CPU module. I've got the, uh, I've got the, the hip, um, uh, um, I've got, I've got, you know, this is, that's probably how it works. You've got, you know, oh, well, I've got the CPU, you know, which is kind of the brain, right? And then, uh, oh, I've got the hip and abdomen assembly, you know, with the main assembly, building it on a certain standard frame, you know, for these models of droids, you know? It, so it's it's so, what a good idea. I love that idea that, you know, he created it for his mom to help her. Um, now, Obviously, like he's way overqualified just to help out Shmi. I mean, he's he's um, like a you know translator and whatnot. But uh, but he's obviously an, a good all around droid um, that can do many things. So that is just a magical part of this movie that I think a lot of people don't really appreciate is the fact that you get to actually witness when C three PO and R two D two introduce one another to them to them. I, that what a special moment for to make. I mean, gosh, it's just what a special moment, unbelievable. So, I I always uh, that that's just again partly what I don't think a lot of people look uh, read into these films or really appreciate take an appreciation for, and that's fine. Maybe you don't care, um, but for me, I I think that's a big deal when t- when characters like that when you know the origin of their relationship and how they met. I think that's really important. So, um, just really cool, cool part of this part of the movie. Um, here's a character that's, you know, and we've only got a few more to, to go, but, but we need to, you know, it's, it's necessary. So I'm going to say that in this movie, you do get a little, uh, a little cupcake of a surprise. And that is Jabba the Hutt. Now he doesn't really talk other than say, you know, begin the race, you know, in his uh in his dialect or in his in his language. But uh but it was cool to see, you know, when they're on Tatooine and see Jabba the Hutt, 
and be like, oh, okay, now here's a little backstory on this guy. Now I see where, okay, so he like runs a, he's a gangster and he runs, you know, a, a mob and, and, uh, you know, uh, it's pretty kind of cool to see, you know, again, where these characters are coming from because later on in the saga, when you meet him again, you kind of have more to his story rather than just the whole, what him and Han had going together, you know? Um, you kind of, you get a broader idea of the character. So just a note there, Jabba, um, pizza, the hut, <laughs> um, you know, again, Senator Palpatine, same, same actor, Ian McDiarmid, but, um, you know, he obviously an important character and, uh, um, it's just pretty, pretty haunting, uh, especially when you're a young kid and you don't like automatically read into it and realize that this guy is the Sith. So pretty, I think they did a great job as far as like hinting at it, but not especially, you know, at the end of the film, which we'll talk about. So they did a good job with that character and not giving it away too much, you know, um, unless again, you were 45 years old and you, you know, I'm glad you read through that you you probably you know no wonder you didn't enjoy the movie because you were busy analyzing it the whole time so um which goes to say uh, a note here about in general watching movies particularly science fiction fantasy films um part of what you have to be able to do when you go see a movie is turn that you know uh thinking brain off and just feel it and just let the movie take you where it's going to go. Um, otherwise, you know, you're probably not going to enjoy the movie because you're going to sit there and, um, you know, analyze it. And, and, uh, and um, you, you have to be able to just kind of give yourself to the film and, and, hey, and afterwards go think about it. But, uh, and probably the best way to do this is smoke a J, okay, <laughs> or something. Just take a little hit of some weed and then go watch a movie. And boy, it's just so much more enjoyable. So two characters left. Just to, to note here, um, obviously we get introduced to, one of again, one of the most important characters in the entire saga, Yoda, Master Yoda. And we get to see him... Um, obviously in the other movies, we only see him on Dagobah and he's at first like a jokester with horrible puppet effects. Cause he just, I, and then Empire Strikes Back, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not that great. I don't, people love the puppet. I don't like puppets. I don't like puppets in general. Okay. <laughs> they freak me out, but <laughs> not really, but but I, yeah, I, I prefer the CGI Yoda in these films. Um, it look, I think he looks good. Um, and boy, does he have some good philosophy in this film, just as he does in all the movies. Yoda is the wisest dude ever. Um, he, you could, you could just read a list of Yoda quotes basically. And, um, that's enough for a individual to lead, uh, their life in establish a code of morality and a full philosophy, frankly. I mean, honestly, um, that's what the force, the whole force and all that. I mean, it's 
practically a religion. The Jedi's, you know, they follow um, a code, and um, you know, we'll. That's why we're going to talk about Qui Gon a little bit because uh, he is a bit of a maverick, and that's what I like about him. So, and the final character, just to note, because he's an awesome actor, is uh, Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is freaking awesome in pretty much every movie he ever does. He's just got such a personality, and um, I thought it was awesome to see him in Star Wars. Um, he fit in great. I thought Mace Windu was an awesome Jedi, I mean, uh, through all the prequels. but And in this one, obviously, he just had kind of a small part, which would grow um, into more importance. But, um, but anyways, that's just a little overview of the characters. And... Um, I mean, just by that list alone, I mean, you can just tell this is going to be a good movie because look at all the good quality characters you have in this film. It's just, uh, and again, a lot of them, you know, well, technically all of these, that's the first time you're going to meet them. Um, um, not out, you know, not being outside of the saga. So it's, it's just awesome. So let's now get into the philosophy and... I basically picked out my favorite scenes um, of the movie, uh, whether it's for the philosophy or the uh, importance of the story. Um, but th this is why I love Star Wars. Um, you know, I always see like all those people that go to those Comic Cons and those um, Star Wars uh, Festival or what um, Star Wars a thon. I don't remember what that's called, but. Um, you know, Star Wars Celebration, you know, that's cool. And, you know, you dress up as your characters, like it's Halloween, the, the role play or the cosplay and all that. I, you know, I, I'll have fun with that. I've never really done it. But uh, like I said, I'm going to, I'm definitely planning on dressing up as Queen Amadala for Halloween this year. Full get up, full get up. Um, but, you know, how many of those people that go to, those all those things and and love star wars on the super you know superficial but i don't mean it in a bad way it's just in this way all they're looking at is the art of it you know um the 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 creations the uh the creatures the the design and all that you know um so it's, it's what's on the surface of it uh when you really dig into star wars what it is is um Story-wise, it's it's basically like a uh, in George Lucas's words, it's it's a soap opera. You know, it's about it's a family drama about a family. You know that that uh, but um, when you really dig deep, it and and this is philosophical, but uh, when you dig deep in anything, where does it lead? It leads to philosophy. That's you know, it always ends in a dichotomy or a paradox. Um finding an answer to anything you could you could philosophize about anything to the point where you simply say oh well it's a paradox <laughs> or there's it's a dichotomy it, there's there's no real answer here um only a choice for you to make i suppose um but the philosophy of star wars is is it is so important to me it's changed me as a person i i, I choose to listen to Yoda and Qui-Gon Jinn and, and the Jedi wisdom, um, generally speaking, more than 
you know, then I would go to a, a major religion or, uh, any other kind of like advice. Um, a lot of what George drew from was, I know he, 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 you know, read a lot of mythology. He read a lot of, obviously he read a lot of philosophy. Um, the Jedi's, the idea of the Jedi is, uh, specifically taken from Plato's Republic. Um, they are the Plato's guardians. Um, he, it's, he completely took it from that. If you've never read the Republic by Plato, um, which I still haven't, (laughs) but I will get to it for sure. Um, but that's, uh, based on just a a little bit of uh, reading into it, it, that that's where he's got it from. Um, it's the idea that there are these people that take on an oath to, uh, if you will, protect and serve society over themselves and they take on a life of, you know, never really, basically either they're not going to be rich and they're not going to be spending their time just pleasure and, you know, they have to follow a pretty strict code as far as how to live their life. Um, they're not supposed to have loving relationships because emotions can obviously, um, cloud your mind and, um, you obviously then you won't make good decisions. Most likely this is stoicism, which will be a whole another, uh, podcast for sure. But, um, I know he drew a lot, you know, of the philosophy and stuff. There's definitely a good Eastern Buddhist influence from it. Um, Taoism, I think, is like specifically what he took the whole idea of the force from, um, Chinese Taoism. So, you know, George didn't just make this shit up. It, it's rooted in some real philosophy um, of, of, of the real world or, or, Hey, I won't even call it real our world and, um, our reality. And, uh, so no wonder that these characters, these Jedi really have some philosophy and some wisdom that is directly applicable to my life and your life. If you choose to, uh, think into this a little bit and, and, uh, and learn from it. Um, like I said, I mean, I, this is this is my religion if, if I have one. Um, and for me, the idea of a religion would more just be kind of um, kind of the fun context that you're going to choose to, I don't know, talk about these types of things, philosophy, spirituality, the meaning of life, uh, you know, these topics that uh, the the speaking about the unspeakable, you know, it's that's what. Yeah these types of philosophies, that's what best, best context, the whole idea of the force. That's the best context I've, you know, you can call it the universe, like science, you can call it. Um, but science kind of doesn't have a heart, if you will. There's no spirit, spirituality, which that word spirituality has a, such a taboo attached to it. And you say that word, you say God, how many different meanings does the word God have to people on this planet? It's, I mean, you, you, you'd spend the rest of your life writing a list of all the different meanings that God could mean to someone. So, um, the force it's again, directly for, from like Chinese Taoism and the idea that life is basically, uh, a stream, a river and it's flowing and it's going in the way 
that it's going to go. And you're on that river and you have a choice. You can go with the flow, work with it. And just like rivers, there'll be forks. There'll be places where you can choose to change and go in different directions. Um, But those don't come every, you know, 100 yards or whatever. Sometimes the river will go a long time, miles and miles. uh, And that could take you, the distance could take you a long time until you reach a point where now you can go in a different direction. Um, it's just a a good metaphor for understanding your relationship with reality, um, and understanding that it's a, it's a relate, it's a relationship. (laughs) Um, that, that implies that there's two aspects to this here. There's you, which is certainly not everything per se. Um, and then there's the, the world around you. And that is, you know, you're working with it. Um, kind of like Bruce Lee when he says, you must become the teapot. He's talking about the energy of water and how water finds the way no matter what's in front of it. Because if if it can't go through it, if it can't go straight, it goes around. If it, you know, it it forms itself to everything else, therefore it is always able to do whatever it wants ultimately Um, it's just a strategy if you will to getting where you want in life Um, aka putting up with other people's crap and not letting it get to you and moving on you know and and taking responsibility for the things around you so you can uh, get where you really want to be so so that's just the general philosophy of Star Wars. Um, let's get into a little bit of the specifics in Star Wars Episode One. This is why I love this movie, I tell you. So I already read at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm going to read it again. Um, and I'm going to try my best at some, uh, some voices here, just so you guys can distinguish between the characters. Uh, but this will be a little conversation between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. It's at the beginning when they're walking into, uh, they land on the Trade uh, Federation ship. Um, the Trade Federation didn't know they were Jedi yet. They were just told they were ambassadors um, of the Chancellor. And so, you know, they get on and they're led by a droid, a C-3PO-like droid, um, who, again, these droids, those droids have a pretty high level of intelligence. They, you know, they, the droid... As they got, you know, they they lead the Jedi into a conference room, and um, this is where the Jedi pick up this dialogue. Obi Wan, I have a bad feeling about this. I don't sense anything. It's not about the mission, Master. It's something elsewhere, elusive. Don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now, where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. Qui-Gon Jinn! (laughs) I love this guy, man. He's real smart. This guy's an awesome Jedi. So is Obi-Wan, but he's young at this point. And um, just a little context, because a lot of these will 
be between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, um, their relationship, to say the least, is kind of, it has some friction because as you'll see, Qui-Gon is a maverick. He very, very self-reliant, um, even a specifically within the Jedi's, you know, most of the Jedi's listen to what the council tell them to do and they go off on their missions and they train and they do the schooling, you know, that they listen to him. Qui-Gon, who is a Jedi master, he, you know, they have even invited him onto the, uh, um, they had invited him to join the council already at this point, um, which he, uh, I suppose declined. Um, Yoda didn't actually want him on there because again, Yoda, Yoda thought he was too reckless in the sense that he doesn't listen to other people very much. He's very much sticks to his own gut. And, um, but, but we'll kind of discuss that a little bit later on why that actually perhaps is the right way for everyone to go. Um, rather than going along with what the group wants you to do. If everybody did their own thing, to a you know certain degree, then that's actually the best thing. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. In this dialogue, you know, this is such practical wisdom that Qui-Gon gives to Obi-Wan. You know, first, Obi-Wan is having anxiety, okay? He's got a bad feeling about this. Yes, he says about this, but you know, Qui-Gon doesn't sense anything because his focus is on the mission in the moment where he's at. He's not really thinking about the greater universe. Um, and, uh, but Obi-Wan's mind is wandering because he senses something elsewhere. Okay. Um, and Qui-Gon's wisdom here, you know, don't center on your anxieties. How much more straightforward can you be? Um, I can't tell you how much this has changed my life. This idea, um, I have had much, I've had extreme anxiety for a long time. Um, I hide it as best as I can. I don't think most people would guess that if they know me, but I, I've had anxiety over just countless things in my life. Um, you know, but technically anxiety is one thing. It's, it's negative emotion because you're thinking about the future you're, you're, you're feeling fear, you're feeling anxious of something that is to come, whether you actually know it's coming or you just have this feeling that something bad is going to happen, which more than not probably turns out to be, you know, something that you're basically your mind's just making up, you know, the, the parrot, you're paranoid or something, um, which I've dealt with plenty of that. And the idea of, Anytime anxiety or distress from it, uh, you know, anytime that you start feeling anxiety, don't let it take your mind over. You have to be able to recognize, oh, I'm anxious towards whatever is coming up in the future. And, um, the, the last thing you want to do is obviously let that fill your head and then you just go crazy basically um, and, and, and have ultimately like an anxiety attack, right? So what do you do about that? Um, 
you know, he, he just simply says, keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. And that's basically all you got to do. It's, it's a mind game anxiety. Um, it's, it, you, you, if you think, well, I'm feeling all this anxiety. I can't do anything about it. I'm feeling it's not, you are in hundred percent control of how much anxiety you are feeling. It is purely a mind trick. That's all it is. Um, the, a great, great way of putting it is, um, I heard this from a Navy SEAL. Um, it was the guy that killed Bin Laden for the heck of it, okay? Um, he said, uh, anxiety is like a bag of bricks, and you can carry it around on your shoulder everywhere you go and just let it drag you down and drag you down and uh, ultimately you know, tire you out till you can't, can't even walk anymore. Or he said, you can take that bag of bricks and you can drop it on the ground and leave it behind you and focus on what's in front of you. If, if you've got a problem coming up, focus on it, you know, take it by the horns as they say. Um, so it's, it's, don't don't feel helpless that just because you're feeling these negative emotions don't think that you have no control over it. in fact it's the exact opposite you you have complete control over your mind if you understand how to use use it you have to understand the mind before you can control it so uh, one step at a time now of course obi-wan says to qui-gon master yoda said I should be mindful of the future in Qui-Gon, not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force. Well, obviously, Yoda's right by saying, you know, yes, you should be mindful of what's to come. But you can't be focusing on the future when the task at hand requires your focus. Um that's only going to make everything bad. Um, what you can do is when the time is appropriate, if you have something coming up in the future that causes anxiety for you, the first thing you should be doing is taking steps to mitigate the risks of why you're feeling bad. What is it you're going to do? You're going to go on a, you got to go fly on a plane across the country and you hate flying. There's a lot of things you can do to mitigate um, your anxieties for that and your fear of that. Um, again, that specific example is ultimately a mind game. I mean, everything is a mind game. It is mind over matter. That's how you do anything in life is you control the mind, you control the body. So it's, uh, you know, very, very straightforward, pragmatic, um, and, easily applicable to human life. I mean, uh, you can, you can use this philosophy just speaking to young kids and, and, uh, I think they'll have a takeaway from it. They of course can't read into it on a deep philosophical level necessarily, but, um, and, and comprehensively understand it, but they'll take away something from it. And, uh, you know, that's what's so beautiful about star Wars is it connects with kids. Um, now, when he says, be mindful of the living force, young Padawan, 
I think what he means by that is that don't think of the force or aka the rest of the world, your environment, and in this case, the future, the what it is to be in the future. So you have something coming up that you're worried about. You've got a performance, you've got a job interview, you've got a, um, a, uh, a game if you're an athlete, um, you know, something that's causing anxiety for you. Um, again, I mean, just practice, practice, prepare, and you're mitigating your risks. And I guarantee you the more you practice to, and prepare for something, the more prepared you are for something, the less anxiety you will feel. Um, so, but the idea of it being a living force or if you will, living future is that let's say you've got something that you're kind of worried about in a year from now. All right. Um, you've got a big trip somewhere. You, you're, uh, whatever it may be, it's so far out. You have no control over it. And yet you're already feeling anxious about it. You're already, you're the fear of that future to come and what your mind is thinking it's going to be like is already taking over your control of your mind. When in reality, if something, what, six months from now or even a month from now, say you have something big coming up in a month, you got a court case, something that you don't know the outcome that's going to happen from it, you know, keep in mind that a month from now, you're not going to be the same person you are today. The world's not going to be the same that it is today. And therefore, that thing that you're so freaked out about, potentially, it's not gonna it's not gonna be what you think it is. You're 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 locking it into a construct, into a box, and saying, This is what it is. And most of that probably is stemming from your fear of it, which means you're clearly not looking at it with a clear head. And so Keep in mind that, oh, well, uh, if it's 30 days from now, then I have 30 days to prepare for it, you know, whatever that may be. And I'm going to spend every day that I can uh, working on that and, and preparing for it. And the closer you get to it, um, <clears throat> I'm sure that the more you prepare, the less anxiety you're going to have. Um, and, and a lot of people will say for anything in life, um, it's actually a good thing to have a little bit of butterflies. It's just a good thing. It, it kind of gets your adrenaline up a little bit. It helps, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it can be a good thing to have a little bit of anxiety, I suppose. Um, but, but not too much, obviously just, just a little, just to keep you awake. You know, it's like that idea that, um, there's, there's nobody is not, nobody is truly fearless, it's just that some people have the courage to push through that fear, you know? Um, if you weren't afraid of anything, you'd be classified as like a, a total psychopath because if you're not afraid of it or, and don't necessarily, if you're not respectful of what something is like, if you were jumped, you jumped into a pit of alligators and you're literally not afraid, like just not, uh, well, you know, there's something wrong with you probably. Um, it's good to be a little bit of a bit, a little bit afraid. The difference is whether you're able to, to detach from that fear 
and then therefore step back from it and see it for what it is and know, okay, well, that fear is simply my my senses telling me that something about that is dangerous or potentially has a bad outcome depending on how I go about doing this. So it's good. It's okay to have fear. It's okay to have the anxiety, but you have to be able to detach from these emotions and not be controlled by them. So, so I love that, you know, scene just because it opens up the film and this is the first time we're meeting, you know, well, in, in Obi-Wan's or Qui-Gon's case, a new Jedi that you've never met before, a new character and, 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 and Obi-Wan just meeting a younger version, which is still just as fun. Um, and man, to just pack in that amount of practical wisdom about, you know, keeping your focus where you are and whatnot. Um, man, it's just, I, I just love that. I, that it's great, great dialogue, just good stuff, George. <laughs> so following briefly after this, you know, the droid that walked him in then goes to the, the Viceroy and tells him like, I'm pretty sure these guys are Jedi. And then the Viceroy freaks out and he's like, okay, well shit, that's not good. And, uh, so they, they contact, uh, Darth Sidious and, uh, Sidious tells him to kill him. And he's like, no, I'll take care of it on the other end. Like, you know, we'll just say that they never, you know, he, he's got his, his fingers and everything so he can corrupt anybody and whatnot. So, um, so this is like an awesome opening. This is where we get the action going in the movie. And man, it's the first time we finally get to see Jedi like legitimately in action. Okay. The, the action in the, the originals, you know, you basically, you just get to see Luke do some lightsaber stuff with against Darth Vader and then against, you know, some stormtroopers and stuff like that. It's not that great because obviously back then they didn't have the technologies to really do any of the real, like, awesome Jedi action that if you've read any of the books, um, you would know that Jedis are capable of doing some pretty phenomenal uh, acrobatics and uh, force, um, uh, using the force to, to their advantage, um, moving objects, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. So this, I love this freaking opening scene where, you know, they, uh, start spewing it. They blow up the ship and the, and the Jedi hear it and they bust out their lightsabers. And they're just like, what the hell is that? And then, uh, they, uh, start pumping in this gas and, and, you know, Qui-Gon pretty much knows what it is. He's like, well, it's probably this type of gas that, um, um, it's just the standard industry standard for, for killing people basically, I guess. And, uh, you know, they hold their breath and, uh, you know, then it just goes from there, man. When Qui-Gon's sh just shoves his lightsaber in the, the big old steel safe doors on those, uh, and he's just melting it down. Like that, that was just badass. Um, and then of course those droid decas, roll up on them and they, and they turn around and have to parry with them or, or, uh, um, defend, uh, against the, um, their lasers. And, uh, and then this is where it's cool. You get to see him do a Jedi sprint, which I've heard some reviews on YouTube where people are like, that was, what is that? That, that doesn't work. I'm like that's a Jedi sprint. That's what they do. 
Jedis have like a reserve of the energy. They're able to call on the force, use the force to do things that we kind of would call adrenaline, you know? Um, so totally realistic in the Jedi world. This is how, this is what they do. Um, and, uh, so it was badass. They just, and, and sprint out of there and, um, and they're gone. So yeah, freaking awesome opening scene. And, and from there they, they, you know, evade and make their way down to the planet with the, uh, with the droid army. So a lot goes on here after this, uh, you know, obviously they capture the queen and then, um, you know, yeah, they, they send the queen and, and, and her party like with like four, like eight droids maybe to guard them and send them to some camp, camp four. And, uh, you kind of would wonder why they would do that. But, um, I, I suppose they just felt that, well, these Jedi, we have no idea where they're at, but at this point they're not really a threat. They're just two Jedi, um, against, you know, they just, they over, they underestimated these Jedi and, uh, and it's a giant planet. How the hell, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they figured, well, I mean, uh, Naboo, um, they don't have an army. They don't have any, you know, professional military. So they, you know, it was an easy takeover as far. And, and I think, uh, Naboo probably, uh, um, they probably banned guns a long time ago, so nobody was armed to protect themselves. So, uh, that was too bad, but Hey, that's, you know, <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> so, uh, that's, you know, so they all get taken over by these droid, the droid army. And, uh, you know, they just figure, well, we got full control of the city. There's no chance anyone's going to put up a fight anywhere. So we'll just send them to, to a camp or whatever and, uh, process them as, as just, as regular people, basically, which, yeah, it, uh, you know, again, would, should they have done that tactically speaking? Probably not. If that was their most important person to capture in that invasion, they probably should just held on to her. But, uh, to help with the story a little bit, you know, it's still probable that these guys, they're not, listen, they aren't the smartest dudes. Their, their whole plan is being conceived by Darth Sidious, who is a smart motherfucker. But these trade federation guys are, as Qui-Gon said, are cowards and, and they're, they're clearly not very intelligent. Okay. I mean, look at their faces. <laughs> you know, they're just not smart dudes. Okay. They're not meant to be, but they're not too stupid either. Okay. They're, they're balanced and enough for the movie to be fun and, and, and allow the, the story to go in, in some cool directions. So, so, uh, you know, the Jedi's obviously save the queen and, uh, and they take her to the hangar and they take him to that like Cadillac or Rolls Royce of a, of a spaceship, man, that thing is just slick. And, uh, this is where, you know, they're trying to get through the, through the, through the blockade and, and that we get to introduce to R2D2 and he saves the day as usual. And, um, so that was just, that was a fun scene. So. And then they hit the hyperspace, obviously, and, and just blast out of there. So, obviously, for whatever reason, the hyperdrive in, in, in this, uh, in, in that ship, uh, gets completely ruined. I, I'm not sure how it just burned out. Um, and I guess that happens with ships, um, from time to time. So, 
they decide uh, they can't get anywhere without hype. You know, they're not going to get to Coruscant without a hyperdrive. Um, so they decide to land on Tatooine and uh, it's controlled by the Huts, um, but it's not controlled by the Federation. So that's the best they can do for now. So they land on there and, and uh, Qui-Gon decides to take Jar Jar. Now, a lot of people wonder why Jar Jar would even go. Like, once again, why would why would he take Jar Jar? It's like, well, because I'm sure Jar Jar just being like a alien kind of thing, it just helps him blend in a little bit more because now it's like, okay, well, it's just a little a group of, of a droid and an alien and a guy, you know, whatever. But um the other the other reason why I would think he might take him with him is because he owes Qui-Gon a life debt personally. So Qui-Gon, I think, just takes the responsibility of keeping Jar Jar around him, um, you know, whenever he can. Um, but either way, Jar Jar goes with him uh, as well as R2-D2. And then, of course, uh, Padme ends up going too. Now, this scene that's coming up here is it's a subtle moment in this movie and yet it is boy it has basically the most impactful left turn i've ever seen in my life okay and this beats out any left turn i've ever seen in a nascar race all right this is where they're walking around in the in this little uh uh trader like you know out uh this little uh town that they're in and um, it's a scene where basically the camera is facing Qui-Gon and, and, and hit the party of the characters. And they just approach, they walk a few steps up to camera. Qui-Gon looks right, looks left, and just says, we'll try a smaller dealer. Or we'll try one of the smaller dealers. And this is that decision for him to go that direction and choose Watto's, which he had never met Watto. He didn't know any, any, he didn't, had no clue where he was going. He had no one to talk to, no one to help him. So what he, what did he have to trust? The force. He trusted the force and it led him. Where did it lead him? Right to Anakin. Okay. Um, now this whole concept of, was this destiny? Was this all meant to be? Um, you know, that's a bigger topic. And um, um, phew, I don't know if we'll get into that. <laughs> but maybe for sure another podcast if we don't. Um, but in this case, you can just say that Qui-Gon trusted his intuition, basically. I, A.K.A. trust the force let it the let the force guide him and um he used his feelings and and it guided them to uh Watto. Um this this moment in the movie is like so profound once again. I didn't mention it earlier, but another like union if you will or at least the introduction between two very important characters. Um oh my goodness. Anakin meets Padme, future lovers, future hubby and and wifey. I mean, ho, 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 probably the most like powerful couple that ever lived because look at their what their offspring became. 
Luke, technically the most powerful Jedi ever, I guess. And then uh, Leia, who was just as profound. It That meeting there, you know, are you an angel? An angel. I mean, I love that scene. And it's just, again, it's it's the beauty lies in you know where it's going. You know what's going to come from that. And it's so interesting to observe these characters when they have no clue what's going to happen in the future. They have no clue that they're going to become lovers, you know? And I don't know the age difference. I, I, you know, I'm assuming at the time she must've been, I'm not talking about the Pete, the actors, but the characters, I'm assuming she was a good 10 years older than him. Um, but obviously, you know, they don't really get together until he's of age and whatnot. But to, you know, that first meeting and to think that that is what, you know, that's Luke's mom. That's Leia's mom. That's a, the importance of that is, is, uh, that's huge. But, uh, again, I think a moment where people don't really think into it at all and therefore they don't take away any importance from it. So, um, just beautiful scene. And again, um, Anakin's character and, and actor Jake, you know, you just had the perfect innocence of a child and, um, really nailed it. So, um, but real important scene. And obviously, you know, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon tries to work with Watto and, and Watto's like, well, I'm not going to take any Republic credits. Um, cause you got to understand they are in a, they're in a pickle here. Um, cause after they leave, you know, he turns down the, uh, Republic credits. He says, no way. That's not any good out here. That kind of implies that nobody else is going to take it out here. So it's not like you can just go to another dealer. Um, not to mention Watto mentioned that th- he's the only dealer that has this hyperdrive, which, you know, could be the case. Uh, maybe perhaps, perhaps he's a more of a specialty dealer where, you know, and, uh, so that could be true. Um, but, uh, this is where Qui-Gon reveals again, um, his patience with the force. And especially when you're in a place where they are stuck, um, you got to understand, I've heard people talk about like, well, why did the hell did Qui-Gon get him into this crazy scheme of pod racing and all that, you know, and the gambling and all that when they could have just, you know, paid, paid another guy to, to fly him off to another place, you know, with another ship. Well, one, that's too dangerous because the chance that you end up speaking to someone and, and, you know, obviously they'll, at some point they'll want to know who the party was and they'll be like, wow, this person's of importance. Um, maybe if I told the huts or whoever else, the enemy of some sort that, you know, basically the word would get out that a VIP is on this planet and, um, you know, some, that's a bad route to go. He, Qui-Gon knew first and foremost, this is mission had to remain secret. It was way too sensitive to get it, um, for the chance of it being, uh, for them to be, uh, you know, notified, um, somebody notifying the enemy that, that they're there. Um, so they're completely stranded. Their ship has no power supply. It's too dangerous to call for help to anybody else. Um, let alone people on the planet. They have nothing of value. Um, it, so the plan, it seems crazy, 
but they have no other option. So therefore, in Qui-Gon's mind, as we'll kind of talk through here, this is actually where you it's a synchronicity or it's a this is when the force is speaking very clear to you that, you know, you, you don't have all these options. So the decision should be pretty easy then because you have limited choices. So just make a choice. Um, and so, but Qui-Gon is not, again, he's patient. Um, and here's a little more dialogue where he kind of reveals that he's going to allow the force to guide him. Qui-Gon Jinn. And you're sure there's nothing left on board? A few containers of supplies. The queen's wardrobe, maybe. But not enough for you to barter with. Not the amount you're talking about. All right. I'm sure another solution will present itself. I'll check back later. And that line. I'm sure another solution will present itself. That is Qui-Gon allowing the force to guide him, knowing that he has to work with the force. He can't force things in this in this in uh, in the in the place that they're at because he has no options. He can't just freely do whatever he wants. He has very limited, in fact, at this point, zero options. So all the only thing he can do is be patient and allow the force to guide him um, and 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 create a solution for him. So. At this point in the film, you know, they're basically wandering and uh, they planned on just going back to the ship for the day. Um, Anakin runs into him, gets Jar Jar out of a little trouble with uh, with um, freaking uh, Sebulba. And then uh, <clears throat> he invites them home when he finds out, you know, they're on the outskirts and um, they're never going to make it there in the sandstorm. So he says, you know, insists, you know, come home with me. You can stay with me. Um, this is where, again, it's just, just beautiful, beautiful, really awesome scenes of, you know, this is where R2-D2 was going to meet C-3PO, which I just love it, you know, uh, when they meet each other. Um, and, uh, you know, also where Qui-Gon meets, uh, his mom, which, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were hooking up, I'll be honest, that they make a hot couple and, uh, for, for an older couple, you know, but, uh, but, uh, I could have seen it, you know, I could see it. She gave him a little look in a couple of the, the things like, oh, hey, you're, you're like really tall. <laughs> so is, yeah. Anyways. So, um, again, I love his mother. She's an amazing woman. Um, so, so strong to be by herself and raising him and, and in the predicament that they're in and, so this is where obviously um, while they're spending time at the at the home and trying to figure out what they're going to do um, over dinner, they start talking about, you know, um, well, first he, uh, Anakin kind of breaks open the, uh, the egg by by saying, uh, you know, are you, you're a Jedi Knight, aren't you? You know, I saw your laser sword and, and Qui-Gon kind of plays with them for a sec, but then realizes like, okay, so you, no, you're not playing around. You, you, you know. Um, and he starts picking up on that. This, this kid is smart. Um, he's not a normal child for sure, because a normal child cannot sit at a dinner table and think up a, an entire plan of pod racing him 
being in the pod race, him tricking Watto that this pod race, that it was his pod, that Qui-Gon owned the pod racer, but actually Anakin built it and blah, blah, blah. And of course, you know, his mother at first said like, I don't want you to race because that's, it's so dangerous. You basically, you know, I hate when you do it. And, um, and Anakin has this, uh, great line and it reveals again, the true nature of Anakin. Um, and, and really broadly speaking of children, I think, but this is what Anakin says to his mom. Mom, you say the biggest problem in this universe is nobody helps each other. And again, they're stranded. They got no other options. And the fact that, you know, Qui-Gon, this is where he's he's able to interpret all this as the force guiding him through this boy and showing like, you no, know, this boy is something, there's a reason why you've run into this boy. And he, so he starts, he starts catching on to that and realizing, Oh, the, here, this is an option and we don't have it. This is, we have no other options. So, um, now a little bit of backstory to help understand why Qui-Gon would even be thinking this kind of stuff. And, and specifically as, uh, he starts learning more and more about Anakin, um, Qui-Gon was an apprentice of none other than Count Dooku. And I'm sure a lot of you know Count Dooku from episode two uh, and three. Uh, Shortly in three, huh? (laughs) But uh, he was Count Dooku's uh, apprentice. And Count Dooku, I suppose most Jedi will learn somewhat about the prophecies of the of the galactic prof- prophecies or whatever. But Dooku had a fascination with them, and so therefore he made his apprentices re- really study them uh, more so than, I guess, a lot of other people. Qui-Gon obviously got into it and um, in his own way, I suppose, got into them as well because they really intrigued him. Um, he wanted to know what was the importance of these. Why would there be prophecies if they weren't you know, to someday come true. And so as, you know, the pro- the one prophecy that you'd got to know about, obviously, and which they'll talk about is the prophecy of the one, the, uh, the one who will bring balance to the force. And everybody, everybody knows about that one. I mean, it's the big one, probably. It's the big old one. And uh, so Qui-Gon obviously knows about that. So where it really kicks off in Qui-Gon's head, though, as like, connecting this prof- prophecy is um, when he has a little conversation with Shmi and he says to Shmi, The force is unusually strong with him. That much is clear. Who was his father? There was no father. I carried him. I gave birth. I raised him. I can't explain what happened. Now, this obviously reveals there's a couple little options here, I guess, on how to understand, you know, what actually happened. Um, The most obvious theory of, you know, his his parentage is that if you take it directly, like Shmi says, um, this is basically the story of Jesus. It it is a... uh, 
the divine conception or, uh, you know, uh, the, and I don't know if Shmi's a virgin necessarily, but that's not really matter. It's just that, you know, the possibility that these midi-chlorians somehow just created life, AKA the force just created life in, um, in her womb, um, creating Anakin without a father, uh, the whole, like that makes sense. Absolutely. Because it's the idea. It's, 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 it's exactly like what Neo is in the matrix is that it's a systemic anomaly, if you will. It's that the universe, or in this case, the force knew again, this might fit into whether again, you believe that the whole thing is a big story of destiny and how everything is the force already you know, creates everything. It's all destined or, you know, free will could work its way in somewhere. But, um, but basically, you know, it's, it's the immaculate conception and that he didn't have a father. And I mean, I, I'm totally cool with that. I think that's awesome. Um, on George, I mean, it makes sense again, that it's the force realizing that the balance between the light and the dark is, becoming so far out of whack um, that it's got to create something in order to, to maintain balance and that that something is a individual um, in Anakin. So now I've heard another uh, I've heard another theory that basically apparently uh, Darth Sidious may have used the dark side to create Anakin in her womb somehow. But the reason why I don't think that could be the case is unless it, it would have had to be through, he must've seen it literally in, in a dream or, you know, he, you know, using the dark side, actually somehow looking into the future and betting on something like betting that his prophecy was true, that he somehow picked Shmi out of all the women in the world. And, you know, did his little magic trick on her womb without her knowing. And, you know, while she was sleeping one night and just boom, boom, you know, there you go. And now Anakin's created by him. And somehow maybe his intention was to go and pick him up at some point, or he had already known through dream or prophecy that it was destined to, you know, a Jedi would find him by destiny and then bring him to the Republic. And then, you know, so there is, there's a, that could, you know, something like that. Sure. You could have wrote it that way, but I think that takes away from the importance of who Anakin is. Um, and also like, just because Darcy, I mean, that really will put Darcidius too much on a pedestal where, um, making him out to be, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sidious is ridiculous, obviously, but, uh, the, the, the no father, just the force creating him in a divine way, I think, you know, is, is the, the best way to go. And I, yeah, that's great. So that's, that's what happened. Um, now this is where obviously Qui-Gon begins, you know, becomes super, uh, he's a, Okay, so something is going on here about this boy. Um, and so he takes his blood sample, 
the midi-chlorian count comes back over 20,000, and that's more than any Jedi ever. So that is now for sure like, okay, this kid is definitely something special. Um, so this is where, you know, at that point, Qui-Gon knows that the direction they're going with everything as far as the betting, the they bet the pod race, they did all that. It's all in motion. Um, he knows that this is, he's starting to look at this through the lens of the prophecies and understand, and he certainly, bo- you know, bottom line, like I said, he allows the force to guide him. He, he, um, and so he's going to start, now he's really buying into it. Um, so it's the day of the pod race and they're, you know, bringing the pod racer in to get it ready for the race and they run into Watto and they, and Qui-Gon starts talking to him about everything and he ends up betting him for, um, either Anakin or, or, uh, or his mother. And Watto's like, no way. No, two Jedi, that's, you know, no pod is, is worth that. So he, uh, tells him, okay, I'll throw this dice, you know, and he, and he gives it, you know, uh, um, what, six to one. So, you know, five to one odds that, uh, or one to five odds that, uh, Anakin, he'll win Anakin, but he uses, he cheats. <laughs> he uses the force and flips it to the blue so that, uh, um, or maybe it was red. I can't remember. Uh, but either way, he, 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 he lands it on the one he wants. So he wins Anakin instead of the mom. And, um, this is a little, this is a small example. And they kind of does this throughout the whole movie where, you know, he'll use, try to use Jedi mind tricks or, um, you know, it's basically, it's called being a gray Jedi. Because normally you have a light that you have the Jedi that are on the light side and they live their life and, and use the force through principles that are seen as, you know, being moral and ethical where you have the dark side and the Sith or anybody who uses the dark side. And that's the opposite. You know, it's basically free will. It's free, free for all. And you, you use power for your, uh, you know, your, um, personal gain um, and ache, you know, cheating or you, you break all the rules. You do whatever you want. There's no rules. Um, and so a gray Jedi is someone who rides the line and they'll, they'll use certain dark side techniques in time, in effort for a, in effort for a more virtuous, um, outcome of something, you know, they'll cheat like he does in a, in a little game, like a little dice game in order to, um, ultimately, you know, gain, win the, uh, do something good out of it, you know, do something bad so that good will come from it basically. So, um, and I mean, cheating against a schmug like, uh, like Watto, I mean, that's not even, really dark side necessarily, but just a little example of how, and, and, and Qui-Gon is considered a great Jedi. Whereas I guess, um, Obi-Wan and like Yoda and those kind of guys, they're all considered Jedis. They don't really go into the dark side ever. Um, very rarely. Um, so yeah. Um, so the next 
next little dialogue here is going to be another um, another moment of some philosophy, some wisdom here, and um, it's once again very very practical, very um, straightforward. Um, Qui Gon walks up to Anakin when he's just about to jump in his pod racer, and you know he's this is what he says to him. Remember, concentrate on the moment. Feel. Don't think. Use your instincts. I will. May the force be with you. And that's obviously just very straightforward, very simple. Um, there are moments, There, there's two ways to think, I suppose. There's when you have to be think, you have to be thinking about Basically, the future, which is when you're preparing for things. Let's say you have a performance, uh, a game, uh, a business meeting, you know, a presentation, whatever it may be. Leading up to that point, you obviously want to be in a state of mind that is technically you're still in the moment at all times. But in that stage, preparing for something, you are preparing. It's preparation. Um, it's a different mode of th thinking. It's where you you should be in your head more so because you're you're trying to think through your options and and preparing yourself for uh for what whatever is to come now when you get to the point when you it's the day of and you're about to you know you're going to you're going to do the presentation you're going to perform um you're going to uh play in the game that is where you flip your mode of thinking and that's where all that preparation hopefully will transfer into your instincts, a.k.a. If it's, if it's programmed in good enough, then you shouldn't have to be thinking about the programming anymore. This is where you just let go, trust your instincts, just feel it, and trust that, that preparation that you did, like giving a speech, trust that it will be there, you know, and, and that's just whether or not you prepared enough, really. But um, don't be confused, though, with like having this mentality all the time. Like I'm not like I don't think Qui-Gon's not saying to not think ever and don't and just like just feel just feel all the time. Use your use your instincts all the time. It's like, no, I mean, obviously, there's a balance between feeling and thinking. That's the two halves of your brain, the thinking brain and the feeling brain. And you have to balance them. Um, it's not really good to be too much in one and too much in the other. Um, balance is just a, you know, obviously a, um, the balance is a huge theme in, in the, in the Star Wars saga. Um, and, and the whole idea of force of the force is to be balanced. Um, that's how life is able to, um, be, um, it, it, it's very much a Taoist, um, uh, idea of, you know, you've all seen the yin yang and the whole idea of that is to be half in control, half in chaos, because the world is a combination of control and chaos. And if you're too much in one or the other, you're not balanced. I think a lot of people would probably think that, well, if you want to be balanced, you should be in control. You don't want chaos. Well, actually, you do. 
You want some chaos. You don't want everything just to be, you know exactly what it's going to happen and all that. And um, so it's it's important to uh, maintain your balance. Um, but in, in the idea of your thinking or feeling, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of knowing when it's appropriate to shift into one or the other, which ultimately means your balance because you're able to focus your mind in the, in the form that you, um, that fits, uh, every unique situation. So just a little, little bit more of that Qui-Gon wisdom. And, uh, so, and obviously, so this is where we come to the pod race. The freaking pod race is one of the best action sequences ever. So thrilling, so exhilarating. Um, edge your seat, man. It's just, it's phenomenal. Um, I, it gives, especially coupled with the music in the third lap when Anakin's catching up on Sebulba, man, I still feel the goosebumps when I'm watching that. Cause I'm just like, Oh, this is so intense, you know? And, and it's little, a little kid driving basically like a, a fighter jet, you know, 10 feet off the ground through all these little caves and, and deadly turns and, and blind curves and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's such a good idea. The whole pod racing thing. Um, I love it. And, um, it was just, obviously it's just, woo, when he, when he wins and, and Sebulba is like, poodoo. <laughs> so great scene. I freaking love it. Um, now they obviously won, so they get all the winnings, they get all the things they needed. They're going to get the parts for the ship. And, and, and now Anakin is free. Um, so obviously Qui-Gon spills those beans when he, when he takes Anakin back and, and he tells Anakin in front of his mom. And, um, but this is where, remember at this point, Anakin is just one of the best, most innocent, greedless, just purest of, of, a, of, a, of a child. But this is where the dark side begins. It's very subtly, uh, but this is where the seed is planted. Um, he's told by Qui-Gon that he's free. And this is what Anakin says. You're coming with us, aren't you, Mom? Son, my place is here. My future is here. It is time for you to let go. I don't want things to change. But you can't stop the change any more than you can stop the suns from setting. Oh, I love you. That's some great wisdom from Shmee. She's, man, what a heck of a mom. Very selfless. And uh, just the amount of strength I'm sure it took for her to know that the opportunity for her son to be a free person and let alone go train to be a Jedi, um, you know, to let him go and not for a second show any weakness or mm, what's the word, just attachment. 
for her to be strong and let go of him and say, you know, this is, this is your destiny. You know, this is you, it's time for you to move on, you know? And, um, and that, you know, once again, the philosophy, this isn't even through a Jedi. It's just, it's through a mom and it's really beautiful that, you know, that's, part of what I was just talking about of having control in life. Well, you can't have full control. You have to accept the change. You can't stop it. So part of what is balance in life then it is to, uh, to accept that, to accept the chaos and work with it. Change when change is coming, the more you fight it, the more it's going to suck. So you have to embrace it and move forward. And this leads into, again, a beautiful scene similar to the one where Qui-Gon, you know, decides through guiding, you know, his guidance by the forest to, to choose Watto's, you know, subtle scene, but beautiful um, as this scene haunting at the same time because this is again where if 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 that you know initially was the seed being planted this is where it was um i suppose uh sprouting you could at least see the the sprout coming up just a little bit because this is where they basically say bye and Anakin starts following Qui-Gon, but you know, within 10 yards of getting away from his mom, he stops and turns around and looks at her and runs back to her. And, um, he says this, I can't do it, mom. I just can't do it. Annie, will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? I hope so. Yes. I guess. Then we will see each other again. I will come back and free you, Mom. I promise. Now, be brave. And don't look back. Don't look back. That that dialogue, uh, again, kind of for all you haters of his dialogue, I get it in, you know, especially episode two and three. There's plenty of it. But this type of dialogue must make up for that because it's just beautiful. It's so the the humanity, the oh God, it it. it between a, a mother and a son it and it's i mean this will be the last time they see each other and if, if you will in good good condition um really i mean he you know the chances that they were going to see each other at all are, are minimum to, to to nothing so really really pretty scene and and um coupled with the uh, theme music where they play when he actually starts walking again for the second time and follows Qui-Gon. And, and uh, that's where 
you know, this is why he turned to the dark side because he was never able to really let go. He loved his mom. Um, and there's a great quote of Yoda from, I believe, the second episode. And um, I'm just going to paraphrase because I actually like it said this way rather than the way Yoda said it. And it it is basically this. Learn to lose that which you love most. And that's probably a pretty Buddhist kind of idea of detachment and understanding that nothing is permanent. So therefore, why, why are you fighting it? This is, again, the principle of balance with the force. You, you don't have full control. So the best you can do is embrace the balance between you and the force. And ultimately, the, the, the will of the force is really what's going to make the decisions in life. And what you can do is go with the flow and be humble and grateful for what the force is giving you, basically. Or you can go the exact opposite, which is what Anakin ends up doing. And he ends up seeking power by trying to use the force for his own selfish, you know, reasons. So... Um, this, this is the, this is the seed here that was planted. That is the, the entire reason why he, you know, turns to the dark side. Um, if you think it's because, well, again, it, it happens in stages, you know, but this is the seed. This is where if he was able to emotionally detach from his mother and realize I'm probably never going to see her again. Yeah, it is what it is and kind of move on from there. And eventually, you know, the past becomes the past and you basically forget about it for the most part or or at least, you know, just know that, hey, I love her, but I can't let my decisions and my future be dictated on my emotions for the way it all worked out, you know. Because that's not fair for anybody to have to be split from their mother or their parent or their loved one or whoever it is. But that happens all the time in life. All the time. Whether it's simply by separation of distance or time or um, life and death. So it's not fair, but happens for a reason. The force makes these decisions for a reason. So, okay. So at this point, we're going to get in a little bit more action of the rest of the film. Um, they're Qui-Gon's taking Anakin back to the ship and out of nowhere, you got Darth Maul zipping by and we get to witness an epic lightsaber duel here. Um, of course, earlier on we saw, you know, we saw them duel out against some droids and stuff like that. But this is the first lightsaber duel that we get to see in um, first action of Darth Maul, which, of course, he turns out to be a total badass and uh, even, you know, reserves 
they don't spoil that the, he's got the double bladed lightsaber yet. They just he just pulls out the one blade and um but Qui-Gon, you know, um spars with him for a bit and then um uh once again, uh Jedi jumps, you know, probably like <laughs> five meters or something all, all the way uh um, must have been more than that probably more like 15 meters up into the sky i mean it was it was awesome so so you know quick little duel it was freaking awesome and then and and uh and then they're then they're away and darth maul's like uh well shucks i'll, I'll get you later um this is uh leads into a once again another meeting of a couple characters that are going to play out to be extremely important. In fact, two of them, the most important character and one, arguably, you know, number two, number three of the, the whole saga. Um, that's where young Anakin Skywalker meets Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> so it's just awesome. And once again, it's just neat to witness these characters when they meet and yet they have no clue where their future and how their futures are tied together you know they just they just don't even have a clue so it was pretty funny to um to see the way there's kind of like good to meet you you know and um it's like you have no idea who this guy is and and what the importance he will have in your life so cool scene yet again now um they obviously fix the ship and they're they fly to Coruscant and they get the queen there. And, uh, this is where we start learning about Qui-Gon being the maverick that he is. Um, again, he, he was already invited to become a member of the council, but in order to do so, you, I suppose, have to, it basically means joining a little democracy where, I don't think Qui-Gon's really into that. He prefers his autonomy as, as a Jedi master and his ability to um, technically do whatever he wants. Um, I know he's the council is what mandates his missions, but um, within that, he's a, at least allowed to do whatever he wants. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, they didn't really explain it too well as to why he didn't want to be on the council. So that's for another time, I suppose. But um, he's obviously, you know, he takes Anakin and to the council and tells him about him. And, um, you know, they say, okay, well, we'll test him, but uh, no, no promises as far as training him as a Jedi yet. We'll, 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 we'll run some tests and we'll see what we think. Um, so this is where um, a little bit of more dialogue again where Qui-Gon shows his, um, I'll let you decide. I mean, whether you think Qui-Gon's arrogant and self, um, closed minded, I suppose, or selfish, or is his trusting his own gut being, um, you know, choosing to be self-reliant in his choices, uh, more than compromising on his, what he thinks is right to go with the group, whether that's a good way to go or not. Um, I think the philosophy of Qui-Gon is that if everybody did that, 
within reason like I think he does because it's not like he defies them everybody all the time he clearly knows when to that's one of the best things Jedi's are able to do is be become the teapot they are they know how to use the water energy and go with the flow of things to ultimately get what they want but work with what you got um so it's not like he's just a bruiser or he just you know gets pushes his way through things but he is on the scale of the jedi more so um he's a he's a bit of a maverick compared to most of the jedi so and he reveals it here in this dialogue with obi-wan this also reveals their relationship um this is really this is constantly how their relationship goes the boy will not pass the council's test master He's too old. Anakin will become a Jedi, I promise you. Do not defy the council, Master. Not again. I shall do what I must, Obi-Wan. If you would just follow the code, you would be on the council. They will not go along with you this time. You still have much to learn, my young apprentice. So, yeah, Qui-Gon, you know... He's a confident guy. I mean, you have to be confident to be a Jedi. It's, and once you're at a master, once you're a Jedi master, you you know, th- th- there's no such thing probably at that point of being uh, um, unconfident. Really, um, confidence at that point is is really a given, and it's just a matter of whether you're being arrogant or, um, I suppose a pushover on the other side of the scale. So, you know, but again, Qui-Gon, this is how he's always been. He's just always chosen to trust his gut over when he really feels something is, you know, right. And everybody else says it's wrong. He doesn't really have a problem with defying everybody else and saying, well, I'm going to go my way. Cause I'm pretty sure I'm, I really think I'm right. So, and yeah, the way, Obi-Wan and him just disagree all the time. That's like pretty standard as far as what their relationship is. Um, and it happens multiple times throughout the movie where they kind of butt heads and, and uh, uh, you know, disagree. So they, the council at this time has um, Anakin in there and, and he's going to, they're training him, you know, just seeing about his intuition and whatnot. And they already know his, his midi-chlorine count and all that. So, but uh, they just do a few mind tests and, and read on whether he's force sensitive. And it's very clear that he is, obviously. But they have an issue with him. And that's that they can feel his emotions. They can read his mind to an extent. And uh, they feel a lot of uncertainty because there's a lot going on in there. Um, and Yoda begins. This is where Yoda, man, this is probably some of the best... For sure, top three. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'll call this number one best Yoda philosophy of all the movies. And um, it, it's a dialogue between him and Anakin. And just a fair warning, my Yoda voice is not up to par. How feel you? Cold, sir. Afraid, are you? No, sir. 
See through you, we can. Mace Windu. Be mindful of your feelings. Kai Adimundi. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Mm. Afraid to lose her, I think. Mm. What has that got to do with anything? Everything! Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. And, you know, it's all the last, all in the last line. Yoda. You know. Afraid to lose her, I think. What has that got to do with anything? I mean, that obviously, Anakin's a young boy. He doesn't know anything about his emotions and all that yet. So it's not to blame him for not knowing, but Yoda kind of freaks out on him a little bit here. Um, you know, everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Um, I, I love this progression. I mean, this is really profound to me. Um, fear is is probably the most fundamental idea of choices in life. You can choose the attitude of being afraid of life or you can choose the attitude of being choosing love basically which is acceptance compassion um, fear or love but if you choose fear basically that the emotions you know have a chain reaction here and you 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 start with fear fundamentally and that's gonna manifest internally as anger because if you're afraid of something that means you're trying to control something too much you're afraid of not having control and so you're going to be angry because you don't have control and the force isn't giving you what you want and what do you do with that anger eventually well if you at some point turn around and stop heading in this direction you'll take that anger and turn it into something good um, use it to I don't know get it out through something constructive but if you continue down this path of fear and don't recognize this your anger is going to turn into hatred aka you're taking your anger and manifesting it on something other than yourself uh, I mean you can hate yourself obviously which isn't good either but most likely you'll take that anger and direct it towards other people, other things. And um, that's not fair. That's obviously not good. That's not love. And um, so, and obviously pushing negative energy onto other people will cause suffering to some degree, um, whether for you or for really for both parties probably involved, but, um, suffering being negative effects. Um, so 
very brilliant line. I have no idea where George Lucas got, you know, this philosophy necessarily. Um, I'm sure he didn't pull that line directly from anything, but, um, but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's real brilliant. I, I, I think it's beautiful. Um, of course, Yoda, I sense much fear in you, you know? So it's, God, that's again, these type, these types of dialogues and the philosophy in here, makes this is what makes this movie of such importance um in the star wars saga in general but um man it's just it's such deep philosophy um to help the audience understand you know who this kid is and explaining the mechanics of why he's going to turn into darth vader ultimately so Really brilliant stuff, George, yet again, sir. So there's just a couple things left, I think. Um, I'm going to address the old... uh, This is always a topic that I've never heard anything positive come from it, but I have a little theory, I suppose, to help people understand what exactly George Lucas is talking about here. Um... I'm going to read the dialogue first and then we'll discuss it a little bit. It's between Anakin and Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon, sir, I don't want to be a problem. You won't be, Annie. I'm not allowed to train you, so I want you to watch me and be mindful. Always remember, your focus determines your reality. Stay close to me, and you'll be safe. That, I'm going to stop there, because that line, I freaking love that line. Um, Your focus determines your reality. Once again, I put that on the list of Star Wars philosophy, and you you can throw away the Bible, you can throw away any bullshit religious doctrine, Um, you know, you don't even need Buddhism at this point for anything. Um, this, this is on point. I mean, and this is very practical. Um, clearly if there's a goal that you set in your life and you can see it out in the future and you say you can see it there, well, just keep your focus on it, you know, um, and start working your way towards it step by step. If you start if you move too far to the right after, you know, a half a dozen steps, you got to take a sec and refocus. Okay, it's it's over there, so I got to move a little bit more to the left, you know. It's all about focus. Pardoning your mind so that you can clear your head and, and focus on what you want to achieve. Um, easier said than done, but it's still again, is just a mind trick. It's all in your head, mind over matter. Um, so like once again, I mean, that line, I just love that's Qui-Gon Jinn for you. That's the wisdom right there. So, um, love that guy. Now this conversation continues though, into what a lot of people have confusion about. And again, like they're just kind of they don't think into this enough and maybe I can explain it a little bit, but 
it starts again with Anakin. Master, sir, I heard Yoda talking about midi-chlorians. I've been wondering, what are midi-chlorians? Midi-chlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. They live inside me? Inside your cells, yes. And we are symbionts with them. Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continuously speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. I don't understand. With time and training, Annie, you will. You will. And obviously, you know, the midichlorian thing, okay? I get it. It kind of does seem random out of the place. I mean, uh, he just kind of asks him randomly. But kids do that all the time. There's no there's no sequence to children's thoughts, really, <laughs> you know. Um, and for him to just be like, hey, midichlorians. So as a question of why George wrote it in, I think it's an attempt in um, explaining, perhaps giving a context to basically their science, their biology of how they understand the way life is made. And, and, um, cause obviously it's very similar to our reality. Um, but, um, I, I would say midichlorians are basically he's, it's made out to be a DNA or kind of a, a some type of special neurotransmitter like DMT, for instance, it's something like that. Like DMT technically is in all your cells. It's all in your body and, you know, your your brain can produce it endogenously and whatnot, um, as well as DNA. It's in all our cells. And I don't know about you, but DNA is what creates all life, technically, scientifically speaking. So it's the source of all life. It's in everything. Everything has DNA. And so... Well, I mean, of course it's alive. And who says DNA is not like technically has its mind of its own? I mean, it is the mind that creates our minds. So, you know, material, materialistically speaking, um, I mean, so it's in the minds of all the minds of all the cells. So I, you know, I think that's basically what it is. It's just a, he's metaphor in, in their world, just calling it something different to explain a little bit of biology to the kid and under, you know, show that there's a science and a biology to, uh, to their world and the way they understand, um, everything. So it, you know, people make it out to be, they're like, what are, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, take, take the, quit slurping on your slurpee. All right. For, for a second, um, you know, put the hot dog down and uh, use your brain for a second and think about it. Okay. This is art. So things are going to be metaphors quite often. <laughs> so I don't know. It's not even a big deal anyways, but, uh, but I, you know, it's there just as a metaphor. So pretty cool. Um, now, really the rest of the movie from here just turns into one giant action sequence and it's a good one. I tell you what, um, whew. the, uh, you know, the Gungans, 
they're going to take their army and they're going to go fight the droid army. You know, I, I kind of, it's not that great of a scene because it cuts back and forth to it all the time. And I'm just kind of like, okay, great. Gungans are doing their thing and whatnot. But, um, Jar Jar is having a good, good old time. Um, you know, but it's hard to even want to watch any of that when you know that there's a freaking Jedi duel going on. The hands down in all the Star Wars films, the best lightsaber duel ever. Okay. Ever. There's, there isn't a better one. Is it just because Darth Maul's in it? No, he's half of it for sure. But throwing Darth Maul up against two Jedi's and he's cut. And just that scene, man, when he's staring them down and they approach and, and he just like throws his robe off and flips out his lightsaber in front and just, what's your what's your own? And he's got both on, you know, and you're like, he's got a double shit. This dude's crazy, man. Cause I can't even imagine the skill that it takes to use a double bladed lightsaber, let alone use one without cutting your freaking arm off, you know? So, uh, that the whole lightsaber battle, the way they go back and forth with coupled with the music, it's just epic, freaking epic. Um, you know, Obi-Wan takes a, a couple good kicks from, uh, from, uh, Darth Maul one in particular kicks them like off, of and falls like you know again like 15 meters down to another hard surface on his shoulder on his face and then he stills like good to go you know that's how tough these dudes are they're again these are jedi in a in a another world they're super humans okay just just take them as super humans um nobody on this planet is anywhere close to what these these men or women or jedi can do um, they are on a whole nother level, um, than what our top performing toughest people can do. Um, these guys, Jedi are just beyond way beyond. Um, but it still takes skill. It's not like they can just do it like Nancy Pansy, you know, they have to focus and use their energy and, and skills. I mean, they've been training to do this kind of stuff for their life, whole lives. Most of them. Um, it's not like they're just born and know how to use a lightsaber. They're training in sword fighting in, um, in martial arts of whatever they, I don't know what kind they call theirs, but, um, I, if, if they were here in this world, man, they'd be grandmasters at whatever they do, you know, jujitsu or, um, my Muay Thai, whatever it is. Um, but God, just that whole sequence of Darth Maul, you know, when he takes out, Qui-Gon, you know, somebody had to die. So, of course, Qui-Gon's got to go. Um, but I've heard a little critique. People think the lightsaber duel was overly uh, choreographed. But I, I just don't agree. Um, but once again, these guys are highly skilled, you know, sword fighters. And, um, you know, when Obi-Wan and... Uh, and turns it up a notch because he's he's fueled up because uh the rage he feels for the death of his master who you know he had just the utmost respect and and in you know a love for him of course you know 
Um, so when Darth Maul killed him, man, that kind of sealed Darth Maul's fate, sort of. <laughs> so you thought, because, man, they get at it, and uh, they're going quick as hell, man. That's some, whew, that's some fast stuff. But, of course, you know, Obi-Wan, he's just an apprentice, you know. So I wouldn't even expect him to be able to beat a, a Sith necessarily. Um, but Darth Maul, you know, one's up on him forces them force pushes them into that like pit into that deep uh never-ending trash shoot or whatever it is but um obi-wan grabs on to the last little thing that's hanging there on the wall 10 feet down and so he's just hanging there um now do you think darth maul like should have been more obvious like that obi-wan could have done that like you know, flip up over him and and pull um, Obi Wan's or uh, Qui Gon's lightsaber over at the same time and then cut him down. The here's it, here's the lesson here. Darth Maul just defeated the one Jedi, which he was already get, get again. He is without a doubt like arrogant, but being a Jedi or a Sith, he's smart enough still to know that you can't be overly arrogant. So just like a Jedi he maintains humility in a sense. Um, that's just because you know practically that's how you stay grounded or stay focused. And so even if you're a bad guy, you're going to use the same techniques to uh, to be uh, as best as you can be. Um, but after he's killed one Jedi and then he basically, you know, without even trying, just force pushes the other one over a ledge and he's just hanging there, Dude, and in this guy's head, he's just like, oh, you know, like, I just took out two of these Jedis, man. I am a fucking badass. And his ego get, gets in his head. And so he's just sitting there, like, scraping his just spark, sparks down on uh, on Obi-Wan's face when he's hanging. He's just like, this guy's going to tire out eventually, and he's just going to fall. His, his grip won't hang forever, so I'm just going to watch him until he falls. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps make him, let him suffer more to just because he's got limited time on this, you know, to, to be alive. He just figured, yeah, he's, he's done. He can't do anything. He's got no energy left. And then he's just mentally, it's like, he's got to be broken because like, where could you go from there? But Obi-Wan being the just awesome Jedi that he is, thinks it up, man. And you can ask, well, with him with 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 Darth Maul observing him you know the whole time staring at him how did he not know that he was thinking about pulling the lightsaber over and whatnot um, but again it's because Darth Maul's mind was clouded through his ego he was already on a high horse and he was like yep this done it's over and he let his guard down that's simple as that and uh that's how Obi-Wan was able to draw on the force one last time and just, you know, pull himself all the way up while he, while he pulls over the lightsaber and and just cut, cut some in half and, uh, love that look on his face where it's just like, Oh, and then just falls over, you know? So, so that was a cool ending. And, um, you know, at the end, they have a little conversation where Qui-Gon makes him promise to train Anakin. Because, again, it goes back to Qui-Gon's 
uh, studies of the prophecies and his his uh, just feeling that this is prophecy, this is meant to be, and and it must happen in order to bring um, you know balance to the force. So. And so at the same time, obviously, during the lightsaber duel, you know, there's Anakin flying in his first uh, fighter, um, and he's up there uh, at the Trade Federation ship, and, and he he gets into a pickle, but then he, make you know, accidentally sends a couple, uh, I guess you call them like torpedoes or, or uh, missiles, kind of big, big bomb, big uh, kind of the big guns on his ship to uh, a couple of them to the main reactor. Um, <laughs> we are having problems with our main reactor. <laughs> so it's like, you know, he saves the day and uh, it definitely has um, rhymes a bit, as George Lucas would say, with the uh, Luke in A New Hope. And uh, so I love that, the way he wrote that. And uh, it's not overly obvious. It's just, you know, there's star fights like that all the time. And so somebody's ends up winning and somebody ends up losing and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And then, of course, Queen Amidala is doing her thing, too. Um, there were so many things going on, but they really did a great job of editing them all together in a really fluid um, and dynamic um you know, uh, sequence. And so I, man, what a bang to end this, uh, movie. Cause, um, after this, you know, basically comes to, uh, Qui-Gon's death and, um, the ceremony at the end. And I love the pan where Yoda and, uh, Mace Windu are talking and they say, always two, there are a master and the apprentice and then mace windu just says like but which one the master or the apprentice and then it cuts to just a pan over kind of of a line of faces with like queen amidala and and all all the main characters there but then the one right in the front is chancellor palpatine but because the other characters are there still was a just a really brilliant way to sh just foreshadow it unless you were just too smart for star wars and figured it out already you know have a little fun and so that that was really done well and um yeah and, and plus at the end obi-wan obviously becomes a jedi knight so um anakin becomes his apprentice so and, and, and it will go on from there so i tell you episode one if you hated it before you listen to this i i would think you hopefully don't hate it as much <laughs> but uh i i don't expect people to uh, love it for the same reasons as i but you know it uh teach their own and uh and with star wars there's just the future is really all that i'm gonna be concerned with anymore you know disney's got the helm now and uh they've been in some muddy water but I'll be optimistic for now and, and look forward to um, the new things that they have to bring to the Star Wars universe. I mean, there's just so much and um, it's really going to be, it's never ending really. Um, so, you know, hopefully they'll do it justice and, uh, and we'll get to see some new movies that I'm sure 50 years from now, heck, 
probably shorter than that, probably 30 years, um, you know, a generation from now, these old Star Wars movies will kind of be not forgotten, but they'll be newer and probably could be better movies um, coming out. I mean, the storyline of the Star Wars saga is like no other. I mean, it is the most epic storyline probably ever. There's just not a better, the scope, the scale, the human, the humanness of it, the ability for you to connect with the characters. Um, and then all the twists, obviously, I mean, geez Louise, it's just the best, best story ever written. Um, there's just nothing more epic, um, than, than Star Wars. So do I think that the next Star Wars stuff, like, you know, like this is the most epic storyline in the Star Wars universe. So, but there's every, the universe is so cool. There's going to be so much awesome stuff. So I'm looking forward to it and, and, uh, the future generations will continue to be able to enjoy, um, Star Wars as I did and, and as my parents' generation did. So, um, may the force be with you, everyone. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me for this first episode of the Post Larval podcast. Um, this podcast will primarily be about philosophy. Um, I'm not a professional philosopher. I simply know what I know at this point, and and I try to learn something new every day. Um, hopefully, you know... I won't say too many things that are totally, you know, wrong necessarily. I, I, I will try to um, keep my balance of, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you things that are, that are not backed up by, by at least some thought, you know, let alone some fact. So, um, I'll do my best to uh, be honest with you and uh, just simply present you what I know. And um, ultimately, we'll let the force guide us. (laughs) Um, So until next time, um, everybody take care and uh, we'll see you again soon.